I had Del Taco for the first time the other day. Ever? Ever. You know how I know that you never did the drive to E3 down I-5? Did you all always stop at Del Taco? That's Santanella Del Taco, I think, is the only Del Taco I've ever been to. Um, They did open one downtown San Francisco subsequently that I might have gone in. But then again, why would you go into a Del Taco voluntarily? I feel like Del Tacos in the Valley are maybe like with a sample size of one. Del Tacos in the desert, much better than other Del Tacos. Wait, what is what is the valley? You're not in the valley, right? No, I'm in like the I'm in the desert, the Sonoran Desert south of the valley, I think. The valley is like halfway. The valley, like I feel like the valley ends south of Bakersfield. And then you go over a mountain and then you're in another valley. And then there's another valley after that. That's where I am. It's kind of the midpoint between the Bay Area and SoCal, would you say? Bakersfield? Or no. Oh, no. Bakersfield's a home stretch. Once you get to Bakersfield, oh. you're like two hours from L.A. Oh, OK. OK. That's the valley. That's the valley. So the valley del tacos, good or bad. I mean, I'm in a different valley, so I can't say. Maybe it's all valleys. Maybe it's just this one. I'll find out. But the tacos, pretty good, I'm going to say. So, I mean, the whole point of the del taco is they have tacos and, right? Yeah, we got some cheese, chili cheese fries, some like fry business that was pretty good. Nacho fries, whatever they were. They have hamburgers? They, they apparently the hamburgers are good. I did not get hamburgers. Oh, what? But I'll tell you what I did do is I got a quesadilla that was wrapped around a taco. And then they put cheese in between the taco shell, the crunchy wow. taco shell and the flour tortilla. So it was like an extra cheesy taco. That's almost this is almost like the vaunted double decker taco of Taco Bell. Your it, it, it it's no it's no chicken chalupa, though. Man, how did you not get a hamburger? Like that's the I think I feel like when you go to a combo restaurant like that, you have got to experience both sides of the combo in equal measure if you're going to get the full look, the full effect. When I ordered it online, it told me how many calories were in the chi- the chalu- the the quesadilla tacos. <laughs> you don't never, as we will as we will find out soon in the midst of this episode. Don't look at the numbers. Don't look at the numbers. Um, I, I'm going to order a burger next. The fries were the high point. I think the, really? the taco was pretty good. The fries were exceptional. Wow. Yeah. That's high praise for a restaurant that is splitting its competency between two, two halves. Do you want to talk about splitting competency between two halves? Our other fast food find is the Wiener schnitzel, mm. which I'd never been to either. I, I have not either. It's a hot dog place. They also sell corn dogs. Ooh, the corn dogs. Pretty good. Like they're fried, they're crunchy on the outside. They're a hot dog inside. It's everything you want from a corn dog. Do you want? Do you like a Swedish corn dog batter? I like a little bit of a little bit of a. I like the like the primary thing I'm looking for is crunch. But yeah, you want the cornbread to be a sweeter cornbread. I think a little mustard on there. Get some tart. I put a mustard on there. You know, if you ask them at Wiener Schnitzel, they'll give you nacho cheese sauce. I, I just loaded their website. They sell it by the can. Yeah, you can get also, but but like splitting the competency, the Wiener Schnitzel here. Also is a tasty freeze, which I didn't think existed anymore. Whoa. Yeah. I haven't been to a tasty freeze since I was like a little kid. There was one on Route 50 near my grandparents' house outside D.C. And like it was one that my parents both went to independently with their parents when they were kids. And so they took me when I was like five and we went there and sweated in the drive through. And then sat outside and ate some ice cream. Ice cream. I just I just navigated to the tasty free section of the Wiener Schnitzel. I, I cannot believe I just said it in German style. <laughs> I believe it's we, it's pronounced Wiener Schnitzel, Brad. Excuse me. The Wiener Schnitzel's website. I found the tasty free section. Uh-huh. I don't like the way they spell freeze. I'm sorry. F-R-E-E-Z-E. No E on the end. F-R-E-E-Z. Monstrous. That's bad. It's almost as monstrous as the fact that that one Del Taco I've been to is also a truck stop. 
So not only is it half fast food Mexican food, half fast food hamburgers, it's also half truck stop. I mean, the nice thing about that is it means your beverage choices expand dramatically. That's right? true. Like, the real problem with Taco Bell is that it's a Pepsi brand. So you got to hope that they have Dr. Pepper when you hit the door there. Sure. Or you go all in on that Baja Blast, right? Yeah. But but if you have a truck stop adjacent to a Taco Bell, that means the whole world of possibilities open. You can get a Red Bull, you get a, 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 a zero calorie, no alcohol beer, you could get like a Arizona iced tea. Do you want to eat a taco and a hamburger and then chase it with a pound of beef jerky? You can do that. God, that sounds really good. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. We, Brad, mm-hmm. are joined today by Casey Johnston, who is a tech health science editor who recently started a newsletter called She's a Beast about getting strong, being strong, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Casey, welcome. Hello. It's so Thank good to you. Have you it's here. so nice to be here. Um, you have, well, okay. So full disclosure, we've known each other for a kind of long time at this point. I know it's been so long. (laughs) You, you've gone on this fitness journey over the last, like you, you, like the rest of the tech journalists have been over here just getting larger and larger as time goes (laughs) on. And, and, and like what, like 10, eight or 10 years ago now, it seems like a long time ago, you, you kind of got serious about fitness in a way that very few tech journalists usually do. And, and it's been really fun to watch and learn from you. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. Should I tell that, that story in brief? Is that, is this yeah. a good time for that? Yeah. That's okay. what we hear primer. Like, like, were you, were you just doing tech tech and then you transitioned into fitness and tech? Like, was there, yeah, was, was there tech before pretty, the fitness? Pretty much just tech tech. Um, I started working at Wirecutter and I was doing more health type stuff. Um, around this time, but yeah, I started lifting weights a little over seven years ago. Um, it was very transformative for me, for somebody who had always been focused on cardio and losing weight and, uh, you know, trying to eat as little as possible. The mentality around strength training was very different, which I'm sure will, I think sounds, it seems like we're going to talk about a lot of aspects of that, but, um, it was really transformative for me and very exciting. Couldn't stop talking about it. Eventually, um, the editor of the hairpin at the time, Sylvia Killingsworth, asked me to write, start writing an advice column for the hairpin about lifting weights. Um, and that turned out to be pretty popular. So I kept doing it. I've been doing that for about five years now. And um, yeah, I'm just very passionate about it. I like have religion about it, I think, is like what keeps me in it and what what draws other people to it. So it's funny. Do you remember what was the spark that turned you on to it? Was it just I mean, I'm, I'm sure it could be as simple as just like you read a column that, that got you interested in it. But like, did, 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 did something kick off this passion for, for yes. weightlifting? I've written about it and talked about it here and there, but it's like not my, I don't think it's that well known of a story, but, and it's not even that good of a story, but it was like, I saw a Reddit post of a woman who uh, posted her six month weightlifting progress on, um, I think the r slash fitness subreddit. And it went fairly viral. I think it got reposted on like, 
whatever the sites were at the time, I think Dig was was on Dig. its <laughs> on its comeback at that or third second comeback. Um, and I was like very blown away by the fact that she didn't get bulky. The workouts were not that hard or long or intense. She was eating a lot of food. Um, she was only working out three times a week and she had just sort of like, she'd really enjoyed it and it had not done to her body what I thought weightlifting did. So I was like, I feel like everything I know about this is wrong and this is shocking. This is like exactly how I would like to be living. And I've never sort of heard of weightlifting in these terms ever before. So that got me into that subreddit and then an adjacent subreddit that's XX fitness. That's like more oriented, more, more oriented toward women. Um, and at the time I got into it, it was very about strength training. Um, so th- that was, that was it. That was like the big, the big moment for me. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like, it sounds like almost like an anybody can do this, right? It's like, Oh, it's not actually like, you don't yeah. have to be a, like a full-time bodybuilder to, to benefit from this. Right. Right. That was my understanding was that you were sort of like really, really all about it. It was like, ironically, it's my life now, but it was like, <laughs> it either had to be your life or, you were more of, if you were a casual, you were doing just like, you know, the elliptical for, for 20 minutes. And that was never the twain shall meet. But this whole, that community sort of allowed me to realize that like, there's a lot of people who have a much more casual involvement with lifting weights and that it does, it did exactly like what I was looking for exercise to do in my life. So that was very, a uh, very watershed transformative moment. I, I was going to say one of the things that you talk about a, a lot in the column, at least, um, was like being being able to see the results and and having that feedback. Like, you know, I've run and done distance like distance running for years, and it turns out I really hate distance running. Right? Like, <laughs> it's boring. It hurts. Like, it's gotten harder when I've gotten older instead of easier. And like, it doesn't. I feel nice at the end of a run, but then I really hurt the next day. And like. I don't feel like it does anything. I mean, my heart's probably in a little bit better shape than it would have been otherwise. But other than that, like, like I don't feel great about myself every time I go for a run. And, and I kind of like, it's, I think part of my challenge has always been finding the thing that I like to do enough that I'm willing to do it like for three hours or, you know, 30 minutes a day, three hours, three times a week or four times a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I used to be a runner before I was a lifter. I was a runner and I had sort of a similar issue where I never liked running in my entire life. Hated it. I used to, I played sports in high school. I hated it so much. Hated to run a mile, even though that's like, you know, yes. 10 minutes of running. Um, but I think that's another sort of reason that I am out here talking about this stuff is that I feel like the the general conversation around exercise is very impoverished by not having a strong component of of strength training or resistance training as it's sometimes called um and I think a lot more people would like it and get I'm sorry my cat's screaming at me it's okay <laughs> cats are welcome here cats also also very passionate about strength training I know truly my hype squad the um yeah I think a lot of people would get a lot out of it they just don't know very much about it or like how to get started and like I would allow that it's a little bit more complex than just like getting on some shoes and going outside which is what I liked about running um, but it was, um, 
very cool to realize that <laughs> it had like unique things to offer that were also accessible to me as somebody who didn't want to be like a football player or a bodybuilder, you know. Actually, like that's that's an interesting point. Like, yes, going out and running is literally just putting on shoes and going right. And like mm-hmm. that's that is actually the learning curve of strength training that I find intimidating. And I assume a lot of people do is like like is my form right? Am I doing enough reps? Too many reps? Like like am I even mixing the muscle groups proper? You know what I mean? Like it seems like there's a lot of technical questions to answer. Like how do you how do you recommend somebody climb that hill and start getting into that stuff? There is a, a learning curve to it that I wish we had more sort of literacy about built into, you know, when we're growing up. I feel like we are taught to run and taught to do certain strength things like most people um, may at some point in their childhood, like learned to do a pull up or pull ups were something that they were expected to do at some point. But like no one's really expected to do basic strength training. I've actually heard or seen evidence of parents talking about their kids in gym classes being taught now to like squat or deadlift. And that's very exciting to me. Um, but when we're adults and we've already been through that phase and we're playing catch up, it's not that easy. Um, I actually started working on a program for this specifically, just because I feel like it's such an issue. There's a lot of starting strength training programs out there, but a lot of them assume you can already lift a barbell. They'll, they, they handhold pretty well in terms of like what, what's good form for a squat or for benching or whatever, but they presume a certain level of strength and like ability and willingness and and comfort with using a barbell, whereas most people I know are literally too afraid to enter a weight room, don't really know what a barbell is versus like a dumbbell or, you know, why is it different from weight machines, all of these kinds of things. Um, so I don't really have a perfect answer for how one gets into it from like absolute zero, but that's like what I'm working on now. I hope to put forward a solution in the very near future. I, I was going to say that's that's often the problem with things that are like high skill or high knowledge, like high barrier to entry is that typically this is why I'm excited about it. this. Is one of the things I liked about your column over the years and, and, and your work in this space, but like y- you, if the person who's doing it can't break it down all the way to the bare minimums, then you, you, it's much, much harder for somebody to get in. Cause like, if you, if you don't, like you said, if you don't know there's a dumbbell and a barbell, then how do you know which one you're, whether you're picking up the right one in the right way at the right time? Mm -hmm. Yes. It, it, It does require a little bit of investment, but I also like to say like, if I add up all of the time in my life that I spent, like stud, like in my, in my youth, workouts came in the form of like in the backs of like women's magazines, there would be um, little workouts, you know, three sets of 20, like chair dips and modified pushups and like these, all these little like Russian twists, these kinds of things. If the I ladies add home up, journal kind of <laughs> fitness guide, right? Exactly. If I add up all of the time that I spent looking at those workouts and like trying to understand them and do them and then abandon them. And like, uh, if I had just, put that into doing strength training instead, it would have added up in favor of just learning basic regular strength training instead of all of these little foofy programs. I didn't really understand even the point of They were like to lose weight, whereas this was much more straightforward. And I wish I had just, I wish someone had just put this in my hands 
way earlier on, like even when I was teen. And I'm very sad that no one did, but I like want that for other people. Well, so um, one of the things that, so, okay, I have a, I have a, this is, we're going to skip forward to the, the future of the conversation here. Um, one of the things that I love about what you do is use science-based information and, and like, like there's, there's a focus on like things that actually work versus the FUD that kind of lives around all of these like a lot of fitness spaces. There's a lot of, there's a lot of quick fixes and like, you know, five simple hacks that will charge turbocharge your fat burn or whatever it is. <laughs> pseudoscience um, type stuff. Yeah. Pseudoscience type stuff. Thanks, Brad. Um, h- how do you, well, first off, how do you separate that stuff as a journalist? And like, like, do you, have you built a panel of experts that you can consult at this point? Or are you, you know, what's, what's your, what's your process like for that? I'm kind of curious as a former journalist. I would say I don't have like live people who I reach out to piecemeal. I'm like, hey, is this real? Like I've I've just done a lot of reading of my own. Um, I have been a science journalist since I got out of college and I went to college for science. So I consider myself like a pretty good evaluator of experiments and papers and studies and these sorts of things. Um and I've read a lot of books now about strength training, and I I feel like I have a pretty good barometer. I think, and and then it also helps that like most stuff trends that you hear about are not necessarily bullshit, but they are kind of the the icing or the cherry on the cake of health. Like there's stuff that's that like you're you're going to get what's it's it's a Pareto principle situation where from 20% of what you do you're going to get 80% of the results and then the opposite for the rest of it okay. most of the things you hear about and you know you read on I don't even want to name any sites yeah don't don't name the news <laughs> tends yeah. to be more of the the like kind of fiddly stuff that you can play around with once you have the basics down but i think most people don't have the basics down. So that's like more what I focus on. I feel like. Are there any like popular misconceptions out there that just really bug the hell out of you? Like, I, I don't know why this is the one I wrote down, but like I, I've, I've heard for years from different people like, oh, you shouldn't eat late at night. You know, oh, no, it doesn't matter when you eat. It's just how many calories you get. Like maybe that's too revealing of my snacking habits, but like, <laughs> like, is there anything like that out there that you want to correct the record on that, that just bugs you? Hmm. I mean, that's that one that you're quoting is definitely one of those things where it's like, that's not make or break to your health, whether you eat late at night or not. You know, it's like, are you eating roughly in balance with your physical activity? And are you are you getting your physical activity is what you're eating, like basically decently healthy? Those things matter way more than like when you're eating, even like when it comes to a lot of people in lifting and in strength training to like talk about um, nutrient timing, as it's called, when when you eat certain things in relation to when you work out, when you get up. Um, but that's one of the sort of things that the it's return like top is ten percent, ten percent. Like when, once you're trying to get the last ten percent priority out. pyramid, yeah, if you will. Um, like is there, kind of, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, is there anything like that that bugs me normally? I, I mean, we, I've touched on this a bit already, but just the idea that like weight loss is the solution to all health problems. Um, 
it's really not. I think there's like quite a lot of science that's emerging. And this is something that I don't I don't talk a ton about because there's like a lot of a lot of movement in the um, research space around the role of like body weight specifically in health. But I think there is way too much focus on it as a measure of health or as what the sort of point of working out or taking care of oneself should be. Most people I know who work out do it because they're like trying to lose weight, trying to lose just a little bit more to be a little bit more toned or like, and they do it. They're doing it usually via um, the activities that have been touted as the calorie burning activities, which is, very it's very short-term thinking in a way that a lot of people aren't familiar with and this is like a kind of complex topic that I could go on forever about but it's it's we one of those, those <laughs> very very deeply embedded things that I think is very wrong very misplaced and needs way more debunking I think I'm starting to see it more see more people talk about even the New York Times well blog, which is sometimes my enemy, but has lately run some more sound articles on strength training. And that's been like exciting to me. Well, well it's, it's funny. Cause the, like the, the thing, like my grandfather was a weightlifter in, in Brooklyn in the, in his teens and twenties wow. and thirties. And, um, the thing that my grandmother told me after he'd passed was like, look, he probably would have lived longer if he'd done more cardio. And, and she was a very pragmatic woman, but also that was the perception I always had was that strength training was something you did to make yourself look the way you wanted. And that cardio was something you did if you wanted to, you know, defeat the imminent specter of death. And, and it seems like the science isn't all the way, like, it seems like that's one of those things like, like, Hey, maybe eating spinach is really good for you or carrots give you good vision. That's a remnant of some like deeply seated assumptions from like the twenties and thirties that just got codified into, into, into fitness law. Right. Right. Yes. So like, I don't want to overstate like the only right thing is strength training and cardio can only be wrong. That's not true. Cardio has lots of things to offer our general state of health. But if people are going to exercise, they tend to beeline for the cardio and like, don't think about the strength training. As you say, like another, another sort of frame of mind about it is often like it's about it's about aesthetics almost strictly about aesthetics and only like a particular kind of aesthetic a big you know muscular man aesthetic hello kitty <laughs> um but strength training has a lot of health benefits to offer that i think people are only sort of starting i say people like scientists people are studying this like trying to capture in studies. And it's tricky because I think, as we know, generally studying humans is not very easy because things like your training background and your genetics and like that kind of stuff can really muddy results. But generally speaking, strength training has to offer, um, it's great for bone density. It's really great for um, maintaining a lean your lean body mass that's like a really big thing that i did this um very beloved among my followers instagram posts that was sort of trying to explain the principles of body mass and like how it relates to dieting too much and how it relates to strength training which is that when you diet especially over and over in a cyclical aggressive way 
you tend to diet away your muscle mass. When you strength train, you build your muscle mass back up. So like strength training sort of runs in reverse the damage that too much dieting does. So that's a big one, especially for a culture where people are so frequently kind of like dieting aggressively on and off um, and not working out very much in general. Their lean body mass tends to be lower. And we're only sort of like starting to integrate this into our overall thinking about health and, you know, lifestyle maintenance type of uh, type of health specifically. Is it accurate? Like my, my perception has been that having more muscle mass helps with metabolic rate. Like it actually helps kind of burn fat faster That's or helps generally like, like, true. Is that, is that yeah. accurate? Okay. Yes. So like, this was a big thing that held me back from strength training. Um, earlier on in my life was that I had read that it doesn't burn as many calories as like running does, but yes, when you have more muscle mass, you burn more calories all of the time because it's it's like in the way you in the way you move like you're a little bit more your body's like a little bit more efficient i think um i don't want to say too much because i'm not quite sure of the exact process but that's generally true that like the benefits of maintaining your health with strength training are not restricted to like how many calories you burn during the session that you're lifting, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So, so what, what are for you with your kind of more strength focused regimen, like what are the metrics of, of success? Cause like, you know, you implied that we've, we've kind of been conditioned by society to just look at the number on the scale. Right. And like that number, I know that number is reductive, if not like straight up deceptive at times. Right. So like for you, is it more, is it more body fat percentage or is it like, is it more based on like how much you can lift? Like what, what are the, what are the, like the numbers, the, the, the progress trackers that you look at? Um, I am a former disordered eater. So I try not to like think too much about how much I weigh or even lately specifically, like how much I eat. Um, if I had more specific like body composition goals, or if I were really trying deliberately to get stronger, um, I would, I would sort of home in on that a little bit more. And I have in the past, like, um, tracked my food mostly to make sure I was eating enough. Cause I tend to be like, Oh no, I don't need to eat dessert or the whole sandwich or all of these things. And then tracking food actually allowed me to realize, Oh, I like short on calories should have eaten that whole sandwich, need to eat some cookies, these sorts of things, have a protein shake. Um, but the metrics of success for me right now are basically, Am I, <laughs> am I having fun training when I do it most of the time? Am I doing it, you know, at, at least three days a week is what I'm going for right now. I'm on a, I just started a five day a week program where like the workouts are a little shorter, but more frequent. Um, and I think once I'm, once I sort of do a few months of that program, I'll probably move to a program that's a little bit more achievement or PR oriented, I would love to like finally hit a 300 pound deadlift, ideally more than that. Um, I would love to, let's see, I think my all time bench is like 142 pounds. I would love to like hit 150. These are like, you, you only get progress in these little amounts when you, when you've been lifting for a really long time. And I'm not even, I could probably get more if I tried harder, but, um, 
but it's about it's fine about finding a balance of what you're comfortable with and like what what is personally gratifying right like yes it's not, you don't want to spend all the time all, all your time in the gym because you have other stuff going on right right it's like my my metric of success now is can i can it sort of occupy a limited place in my life in terms of I don't feel like I'm thinking about my programming or what I'm eating all of the time that I can sort of this was my goal all along when I started strength training and even when I was running I was like I don't want to have to worry or feel guilty about about eating food or that I'm not working out enough and this ecosystem works much better for that in my experience it's funny because this is kind of the problem like the, one of the beautiful things about the internet is it exposes you to the deep end of every community <laughs> and subculture and everything on uh, that's available everywhere. And so you go in and you look at our fitness and you see the people who's for whom fitness is like their hobby and maybe their job and like the thing that they enjoy doing more than anything else in the world. And man, that is never going to be me. Right. Like realistically, right. I'm probably pretty good with with like your theory of, hey, let's put the fitness off in the minimal place possible and like give, build it a nice little house over here where it can do its thing. But but like I feel like that Reddit effect is kind of dangerous sometimes because it does like I look at I look at pe- somebody on, on one of the fitness subreddits. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like, I don't I don't even want to do that. I, I'll just do nothing instead. I'll, let me go have another bag of Cheetos and call it a call it an evening. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's like um, I've I've sort of clocked this as well about the Internet in general, which is that it's hard to find role models who are in that in-between space of like not super accomplished, but also are yeah. into something I try. So, like, I kind of try to be that person. I, that's I will what say. I, yeah, that's what I like about your that's what I that's what I that's one of the things that it, that attracted me to your columns. Like, it's, like that is a, like, it's a good place to be, I think. Yeah, like I, that's that's kind of that's the vibe I got when you when you talked about like you're not chasing numbers necessarily so much. Like it, it sounds like it sounds like you're emphasizing more of a qualitative kind of measurement than a quantitative one of like right. the, the goal is like do I feel good about myself and how strong I am and am I enjoying life good yes fine done like that, that sounds like way a way healthier relationship than staring at numbers all the time yes I mean it's I would say it's like so far not that successful of an enterprise because it's hard to express a journey of the mind on Instagram for instance it's like someone with abs who's like, here's how to get my abs plays much better on these platforms than me being like, I feel so good about myself <laughs> in the way that I don't have to think about working out that much, but I still enjoy it when I do. Um, so yeah, I, I try to be that person. And I, a few times, like, I think people have posted my account on Reddit being like, um, this is a normal person. <laughs> who has a normal involvement with exercise and it's like not like they're a trainer and they have all the time in the world and they're like why doesn't everybody else you know spend hours and hours in the gym or like learn how to do this new exercise or movement that seems very complicated and maybe unnecessary but I don't know because I'm just a normal person who doesn't know fitness stuff that well um but it's I wish there were more a better resource for that sort of like we really are about accomplishment and excellence in uh america here i guess and it makes it a little difficult especially with the internet now to find um 
more sustainable like feeling. Yeah. And yeah. Kind of, kind of a guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, let's, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about like the state of digital journalism in the 21st century. But before we get to that, I have food questions. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, this is a place like you, you talked about food tracking a little bit before. I guess, I, I guess the real question is, let's take a step back. Where, where do you, where to start? Like if you're sitting here and you're like, this, this all sounds great. Casey seems like she knows what's going on and has a view for this that I haven't really heard before. Like how, how should I get started? Do I need to talk to my doctor? Should I hire a personal trainer? Do I need to join a gym? Or can I just go like empty out some milk jugs and fill them with sand or something and go out in the backyard and start hucking them around? Well, I think I would ask first, what what is your goal specifically? Uh, I, I just want to live forever. It's really simple. <laughs> okay. okay. Never Me too. Interesting. Me Interesting. Too. Yeah. That sounds good. Oh, boy. I'm not a billionaire either, which is, a, I know mm. this puts me at an immediate deficit, it turns out. I think if this is like a hypothetical specific person I were talking to, I would have a lot more questions about like, okay, what does this really look like for you practically? Like, and what does your life look like now? But okay. I mean, Let's I can say, give you some specific answers here, Casey. I'm a forty-six-year-old well, dad. I have very little free time. I'm really, really lazy, and I've grown an enormous beard during the quarantine. So, good. yeah, it's it's not a great place where I was starting. Um. Well, because this is my thing, but also because I truly did find it so transformative. I think a lot of people, when they're talking about how to get started with health. It's a lot of like pay attention to what you eat, which I think is like a fine, a fine tip and like trying, I don't know, trying to get like a serving of vegetables with every meal, that that sort of thing. And I think that's all well and good. I kind of like to advocate for it's not quite the opposite end of the spectrum, but another angle, which is like, um, try getting working out in there first, I think it would make a big difference for a lot of people, especially if they gave strength training a try. Um, I could probably give you some starting programs to link in the show notes. Oh, that would be awesome. Um, Yeah. But I think there's a few basics that it's good to get familiar with. And it's not just about, you know, how, how your body looks, but I like strength training because like to go back to the sort of overall goal of things is that I like to feel like I can move well in my life. And when it comes time to like pick up a box of cat litter or carry my laundry downstairs or whatever, then I'm not like struggling and strength training really is like night and day difference with that. Um, And I think more people, if they tried it, could experience that difference for themselves. So, and it's, it's not just about like being as strong as you possibly can, but building a functional amount of strength for your daily life and not just strength, but for instance, to squat to depth, as we say, deep enough, that requires a decent amount of mobility that I think a lot of people don't have. Same with deadlifting, uh, same with a few of the other, other movements. So I'm, I, I think Give it a try. Even just learning how to do the movements without weight, you'll get something out of. When you start adding adding in weight, you'd be surprised how quickly you can get quite a bit stronger just by adding a little bit of weight 
every session. Like you can do it. It's I think people would be shocked if they tried it, how sort of low hanging the fruit is of strength from like absolutely zero to let's say deadlifting 135 pounds. I think like everybody could do that more or less some, you know, Barring, like, health obvious exceptions, but like, yeah, yeah. I, I can I can attest to that a little bit. I mean, I'm the most amateur novice on the planet, but like I've I've been doing some really basic just like squats, um, presses, I guess they're called like I don't even know what they're called, right? Mm-hmm. Like tricep lifts, just some basic stuff like that after doing literally nothing for a year of the pandemic, right? Like literally like I didn't understand how much my commute like I would, you know, I'd walk to a bus stop, get off the bus, walk another like eight blocks to an office, you know, back every day, like walk around to get lunch. And so like I didn't realize how much of that is exercise, right? Until it wasn't in my life anymore. And then after a year of not doing anything, it's like I can't walk up the stairs to my apartment without being winded. Right. It was terrible. So just after like three, four months of just some basic stuff, like I can stand up off the floor (laughs) with ease, you know, like that sounds pathetic. But like it really is like such a quality of life thing to just realize like, oh, like my shoulder doesn't hurt. it. like these joint pains I had are gone. You know, it's like I can lift I can lift this chair and move it without like struggling with it. You know, like it really just makes your life better. I'm picturing you just with the chair leg up on one <laughs> hand now, Brad. No, <laughs> oh, not quite Charles Atlas over here, but I don't want to sell my my partner out too much. But one thing he complains of sometimes is like he's very tall, so like not being able to bend over, like bending over to like get things on the floor or a low shelf is difficult for him. And I'm kind of like, you know, if we can't bend over, that sounds very much like being, you know. 70 years old like we should get you a nursing home if you're my (laughs) roughly my age you can't bend down so things like that it's like stuff like that sometimes I still surprise myself that I can just sort of move around in certain ways where I'm expecting it to be I'm expecting to be stiffer or like uh have it be harder and stuff like that is much more it really smooths that groove, I guess. Yeah, it really. It was especially an epiphany for me because I'm I'm 42, and I, a lot of the like aches and pains, joint issues, like lack of strength and stuff I was having, I was just chalk it up to being old. I was like, oh, I guess this is what for, being 40 is like, right? But like, yeah, no, no. Like I put the effort in, and all of a sudden it's like all that stuff is gone. It's like, oh, wait, you're not you're not just like a, a, a trapped by your age, right? Like you can push back against that stuff. That's another thing that I think I wish we had more sort of data on was. Um, how big of a difference this would make for people who are who are getting a little bit older. Like I have peers now who complain of back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain. Sometimes they get these like spasms that they have to lie down for an entire day and they're 31. And I'm like, oh man, like this, I feel like I know it takes initiative and it's not exercises, like not everyone's one, one true passion in life, but I truly think the time investment is so minimal and the payoffs are so great, like minimal compared to, you know, how much time we have in a day and how much time can be taken up by, say, a back spasm that lays you out for a week um, unpredictably. How much of that could be managed through a little bit more uh, deliberate training like this? Um. Casey, we've reached the portion of the show where we talk about the apps. <laughs> are, are, are we, there, are, we are bound to talk about apps sooner. Yeah, or later. We, like we got to talk about something technology here. Um, is there tech stuff that you like or tech stuff that you don't like? I know like everything from like your fitness trackers to your smart watches to your, your 
it seems like the food tracking apps are probably good for limited time. But I'm also curious, like what you think about stuff like Ring Fit and and like the weird gamification of fitness stuff that happens and how you feel about that stuff. You know, hmm. I feel like the gamification, if it works for someone, I'm like, do it. I, I feel like I rarely see it be the thing that keeps people in working out long term. It might help them get started or sort of like understand where they're at. That seems to be really big, especially when it's like, you know, you get an Apple Watch and you're like, oh, I only walk 500 steps a day. Like, that's me. Sometimes, a lot of the time. But so like, it's good for that. I don't think it's great for like, as per- a personal trainer would say, long term adherence. Um, but if it helps you with the we call in my in my community discord, someone came up with this calling just getting off the couch, the hardest lift. <laughs> if it helps you it's with the so hardest true. lift. Oh my god! Then by all means, you know. Now we have an episode title. Wonderful. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Like, there's there's good apps that are tools. If if we want to talk about that as well, um, I always use my my fitness pal for food tracking. You have to like deliberately turn some of the weight loss features off and mm-hmm. make them stop. But it just has like the biggest food database that's like very complete and like generally accurate. I think chronometer is another one that's popular with some of the folks in my discord. Um, I personally want to make an app that just tracks the protein content of food. This has been like a major request of our audience that like, it's like, you know, calories are a little bit, whatever, or like how much, how much carbs versus fat. You just kind of want to know protein. I'm like, that's, I want to make that app. I want it in the world. Um, And then there's, I was just actually asking them about tracking workouts, what apps they use for that earlier today. Yeah, I don't think I got any really good answers, but I've only ever used like a notebook and Google Sheets for my my workouts. Um, And a lot of, I think maybe even most, um, Coaches, strength training coaches, personal trainers uh, who will give you programs that, especially if they're writing them for you specifically, will give them in the form of a, of a Google sheet. It's, it's sort of like the currency. Okay. Um, other than that, I've used the app Strong a bit to like put in workouts. Um, and I think the Strong Lifts app is also quite good if you're like at the level of being able to handle a barbell. I think it starts you with the barbell, but it's like it sort of automates certain things about the workouts, I think, which is like, I took a deload week, as we say, or like, I went on vacation, like how much weight should I take off of my um, squat that I'm attempting to do now that I'm back at it. And it'll sort of do that for you. Well, one of the things that I thought was really interesting as you were getting started was when you were, t- when you were learning about like bulking weeks and, and, <laughs> and all that stuff. Cause yeah. like, I think my perception of, fitness. And I know I said, we were going to change subjects here a minute ago, but, um, like it, it was cool. Cause you were like, look, I'm, I'm eating like a ton, which seems nice. Mm-hmm. And then you like, you, you, well, you, you tell you, you, you should explain this. Not me. I don't Yeah. I, I mean, about. this is something that I had to, uh, uh, yet another aspect of lifting that I think I had to really intensively study in order to get. And I was sort of like, didn't even really know what the terms meant cut in bulk 
I think they're slightly more familiar to men because like a lot of sports um Wait, uh, if you were in the rest- football wrestling, f- football, room or yeah, whatever, wrestling, yeah. like anything with weight classes, yeah. it would it would uh, figure more heavily in there. Um, but yeah, bulking was when or is when um, you take what we call your maintenance calories, which is like if you're working out and eating, basically your body weight is not changing. You're just sort of like where you're at. When you're bulking, you add 20% more calories or so to like your caloric budget in the interest of building muscle. So you can build the the rule of thumb is you can build about a pound of muscle per month for women, two pounds for men. You build it really slowly, but a 20% calorie bump is about where you need to be, at least in the stage that I was at, which was like pretty, pretty noob ish. uh level of bulking uh-huh. but you eat more and it really gives you it, it, oh, you feel it in the gym you just like feel so strong and like your numbers are going up and you're it's very validating and i've like never felt better about my body than what i was like you know done bulking i was like i feel so good i feel so capable i feel great and like you have you're like i don't want to promise strength training is like the magic fix to everything, but, um, you have your bad days when you're bulking, you feel so good uh, basically every day. And it's incredible. I drew, I, I was, I'm oh, sorry. Ahead, I was, was going to get you to expand on that. Cause you mentioned protein content and tracking mm-hmm. that earlier. Um, could you talk about just like general do's and don'ts for what to eat or not eat before and after <laughs> a workout, like resistance type workout, not for like, you know, not, not necessarily like Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilder style, but just like regular people doing Light 13 eggs strikes <laughs> Well, here's the thing. It doesn't matter that much. Okay. You don't want to make yourself sick. Like if you eat a full meal and immediately go work out, that rubs some people the wrong way. I actually find for strength training, that's okay. It'd be a problem if I were running. For strength training, it's actually just, mostly just from fine. A, like you feel like you're gonna throw up the entire time and be uncomfortable, not right. You're gonna right. Harm so yourself. for some people, yes. Yeah. Um so be aware of that, but in terms of talking about the sort of pyramid of, of priorities in terms of your health, it makes a much bigger difference to be sort of like adequately fed throughout the day okay. than what you eat specifically before or during or after. Okay. Um, the more specific answer is generally the advice for more so for like athletes who are really trying to optimize their performance they'll tend to cluster their simple carbs around their workouts so like candy bread <laughs> i know one guy whose pre-workout meal sort of was two pockets of ramen um so you tend to want to concentrate fats especially away from before immediately before or after your workout um a little bit of protein is good, but you don't want to, you know, have your your stomach full like trying to. I think another thing is like it draws the blood away from the rest of your body if you're like trying to digest a lot of food, stuff like that. But yeah, simple carbs are a are not only um, encouraged but necessary in lifting. It really helps. It can really help uh, fuel your workout, especially if you like haven't for whatever reason, had a lot of carbs during the day to have like a something sugary before 
or during, and particularly for me, especially after, if I don't have like a good dose of carbs, I will fall asleep after I work out very consistently. (laughs) It's, it's, it's incredible. I won't even like feel that tired immediately after, but an hour or so after I will just shut down sitting on the couch and just zonk right now. (laughs) Yes. Um, this is fabulous. Casey, uh, before we move on to the talk about how journalism is going in the 21st century, Mm. like, I think this is let's, let's, you should plug your newsletter and let people know where to find you on Instagram and Twitter and wherever else. Yes. So I, um, moved the home of my column, which I've been doing for five years now. I think I mentioned that already. Uh, ask a swell woman was my advice column. Now I'm, uh, bringing it to a newsletter format. The newsletter is She's a Beast. It's a little bit of a expansion of the remit of my columns. So I'm talking about like, you know, links to news articles that are relevant to this space. Um, Some analysis of the fitness community more broadly. General thoughts, unprompted thoughts that I might have about about things that are going on or um, about sort of softer subjects around, around lifting. Like I just wrote one that was about why it's hard to form a fitness goal, for instance. Um, so yeah, I think subscribe to that. As I was saying before we started recording, I am not yet making Barry Weiss money by any stretch. So can you really use any support for this, for this newsletter that's out there? It's, um, it's she's a beast.substack.com. That's correct. Let's talk about digital journalism. Um, but like, how, how did things evolve for you over the last few years? Like, are you feeling like things are going well with digital journalism, or are we like through the disastrous pivot to video years and into some new disaster? Like, what what's like what's the yeah? What what, what do you feel like is the state of the union as a New York working New York journalist? Wait, are you asking me? Or you asking Brad? No, I was asking you. Brad's not you're a working me. Oh, yeah. okay. I was like, you <laughs> yeah, said New York and I'm a working journalist. I was like, uh, is that me? Okay. Yeah, but I mean, that's you, right? <laughs> yes. Um, well, disclaiming any anything that one might say about my former employer, to be very clear, this is not about them. But I think uh, the video question in particular is tough because I know exactly what draws media companies to that it's like just the payout for it's cpms are way higher production yes the cpms are so much higher and they look at them and they're like how hard can it be to make a video not 10 times harder than writing an article surely not 10 times more um time investment when really it's like i think the equation works out such that it's I, i mean obviously this is not my actual business but i know i sort of know where it comes from and i think it's been true for as long as i've been doing this companies have been like trying to get into video um i did some videos for ars technica i think like roughly on this basis where it was just like the cpms are great (laughs) and it was i was sort of making these videos entirely myself and like filming them and setting up the lights and editing them and all of the stuff and it was like a lot of work. I didn't even know. I, I didn't know what the things were to like ask for or whatever. Um, when I was 23 and making videos in my apartment, but um, they were very funny videos for what <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was, yeah. <laughs> I like to think they were cute, but I don't know. Like what's, what's the state now? I think I am less, 
I'm going to say I'm less pessimistic than I feel like most people that I know about media. Um, I think people have been like, there's obviously a real difficulty with like where the money is concentrated and the companies that sort of have control. Like I was just yelling at some friends about this at a birthday party the other day where I was like, (sighs) the biggest mistake anyone made in media was letting Google and Facebook and these companies sort of insert themselves between the audience and the publications and turning that into metrics and like what it really quote unquote means for someone to like see an ad and like whether they not even that the process that they have for assessing whether showing somebody an ad translates to a sale is necessarily true, but they really sold it to everyone as being true. And it just like cratered all of the money from digital articles. It's like, and now I don't know if that's ever coming back like to the web. (laughs) And like, I mean, the the ad revenue from, from like when I was working at ours to now, like you'd think that would be higher, but it turns out it's a, like the cost, the cost per thousand users, the CPM is a fraction now of what it was in 2000. Mm-hmm. When we were writing Celeron 300 overclocking guides and nonsense <laughs> like that. And like, in my opinion, I am not a scholar of this, but I think I have informed thoughts, which is that like, that's directly a result of, of allowing these people to insert themselves in the middle. And like, I saw an article a few weeks ago that was like, wow, TV revenue is higher than ever, despite that fewer people are logging fewer minutes than ever of watching TV. And it's like, do you know why that is? There's no one in there saying, actually, showing an ad on Hulu has like this precise dollar translation to a sale. Therefore, like, it's like Hulu has that information. But like, there's no independent intermediary whose business motivation is to take money from both sides in order to make it like, in order to make themselves money. There's well, Hulu selling ads, I think, as far as I know. And a journalist kind of did a thanks.txt the other day when he was leaving GameSpot. I saw where he did a thread of all the things that he's learned working in media over the last however many years. Oh, I think I saw this but didn't read it. I want to, I want to look it up. It went it went pretty viral. It was pretty good. But the 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 big thing that I think he struck on that I had that people don't talk about is the kind of reversion to the mean that that like if you're like I've been lucky enough that I've been in businesses where we didn't write for algorithms necessarily. Like by the time I left maximum PC, Facebook wasn't really relevant and it tested, we had a mandate to not have to worry about that. So, um, but, but if you're in a place where you need that Facebook traffic and the Google traffic to, to drive your business, then you're, you're basically either you're looking for all of those subcultures that we talked about earlier. And you're trying to either target each one with the most appealing thing, or you're just writing the most, oatmeal generic mash to try to capture as many of the 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 vast range of humanity mm-hmm. and and it means that you're basically at that point then writing for nobody yes which which is an unfortunate um it doesn't feel good and and yes. you're and you're stuck trying to read the tea leaves of of the people who control algorithms because the visibility into how the algorithms work is completely opaque right and it changes every week so like you're just sort of trying to divine you know what you should be doing and how you should get it to people who you want to see it right right and it's also like the stated value of algorithms is very 
not nebulous necessarily, but I think means a more specific thing than than a lot of like audience development people or like people at Facebook would like you to think, which is like it got people to click on it. Well, look, <laughs> did it like optim- ch- like is it going to draw them back to the publication? There's metrics for that, but like in a, I I, I feel like well, this could this would be a whole tangent, but there's a lot of like panic about misinformation on Facebook. That's not necessarily unwarranted, but I'm like someone like seeing something and believing it and having it like inform their worldview versus like looking at it out of curiosity or like scrolling past it are like three very different things. And Facebook doesn't have a great way of like showing the difference between all those things. And I think that's true of when you when you're like trying to get Facebook traffic as a way of building your audience or publication, you don't really have access to the things that would really meaningfully do that. You're like getting eyeballs. That's kind of it. Well, but those those folks, to your point, those folks are now not making that connection with with you as a writer or your publication as a as a source of valued information. And and look, nothing ever went wrong by optimizing for the minutes spent on a piece of content that's always worked out great. You know, I, I've learned a lot of really useful things from YouTube where they do that aggressively, like jet fuel can't melt still beans, <laughs> and the chemtrails are how they control us. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little grim sometimes, but, um, but yeah, and the newsletter life has, has, I mean, you're what, a couple of weeks into this now, I guess, maybe a month. Yeah, I think I started, maybe it's been three weeks now, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about the prospect of it. I mean, like I've really loved the sort of Substack content renaissance. Like, I think it's important to think about the difference between people who like read for fun and pleasure and people who read for like, I don't know, information Information. or like boredom, you know, like. I think Substack has been great for people who read because they want to read something interesting and for people who want to write something because they're excited about it and not because like there's a news peg about it or there's discourse about it. They're just like, I love this thing. And like, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it to people who are also interested in it. The internet allows us to find that community, however small it might be, but hopefully it's like big enough to sustain the ongoing conversation. Um, it gives us that direct relationship. We don't have to like worry about scaling things. Like it's, it feels more possible than ever to like have a small business kind of presence as a writer and connect with your audience, corny though that is, and not have to be like, we got to have, like, I need to make every, even though like, I would like to make everybody talk about strength training. The impetus is not as <laughs> severe, maybe, when when we're talking about um, a Substack audience. I'm excited to just be in a place where that's realistic for me. I like hope it stays realistic or like becomes slightly more realistic, frankly. But um, I think it's really awesome. And like, I, there's so many Substacks that I love reading and like open every time I get them, um, and. I think it's just been great. Well, it's, 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 um, I was talking to a friend a few months ago and we were talking about, it was right when clubhouse was starting to take off and before it stopped taking off and started doing the other thing. <laughs> Yikes. And we had this, um, like we were talking about it and kind of had this epiphany that, you know, the social networks 
you always think about them as like Facebook people and Instagram people and Twitter people or whatever. But in realist, realistically, it's Twitter is the one for people who are like readers and Instagram is the one for people who are visually oriented and just want pictures or video. TikTok takes the video thing and just kind of cranks that up to 11. And like the idea that there's an audience on Substack and there's an audience on Instagram and there's an audience for podcasts and there's an audience for video and like all of these different like you, you probably like the thing that took me a long time to realize is that there are people who are interested in the podcast who probably are never going to consume a podcast. And we need to be figuring out how to reach out to people who would be interested in what we make that are newsletter readers or are, I mean, I don't know how we engage with visual thinkers because those people are nightmares. But um, <laughs> Anyway. Uh, it's, no, it, I think it, you're right. It's like the, all of these things fill very different niches in my life. Like I'm not going to sit down on the couch and listen to a podcast necessarily, but like if I'm going on a walk, if I'm cleaning my house, if I'm working out, I'll listen to a podcast and there's like yeah. different. And if I'm reading, like we used to have live blogs, remember live blogs? I loved, I loved for, live blogging was so much fun. <laughs> I thought it was great. And it was very specifically for people who like, yeah, I think either couldn't load a video feed, frankly. And obviously like there weren't video feeds of a lot of these things, but like people who wanted to keep up with something and they were like at work and could, I mean, like that was sort of the later iteration of it was like you could yeah. you could follow the event without having like a video feed obviously open on your computer. So, you know, different formats are are meaningful depending on even like within a single person what they're doing and what their sort of availability is, whether they have both hands or not or both eyeballs. So, uh, Casey, bring back live blogs. That's what I'm saying. We need to- <laughs> yes. Ted, we got 45 <laughs> minutes until the next uh, next opportunity. We should fire that thing up. Oh, there's an apple. Yeah, totally. <gasps> yes. Is it today? Yes, oh it God. is. Yeah. It is very soon. I'm so out of this loop, but I need to get back into it. It's, maybe it's maybe I'll cool. live tweet it for old time's sake. But it's it's kind of cool to be out of the loop, right? Like I'm enjoying just consuming that stuff as a normal human being instead of as somebody yes. who like has to care about it for every moment. It's also like it's hour. not it's not like it was like 10 years ago. Like the improvements that are happening to phones are not. Yeah. I, I like to think they don't matter as much. And like my iPhone that I'm good, this iPhone that I'm going to get now in a couple of weeks is basically the same one as that. I'm, the one I'm probably going to trade in. Yeah. Um, so sometimes good enough is good enough. Yeah. Cool. That's well, my th- message also for like everything. Lifting, yeah, it's a good, philo- uh, it's a food, good healthy, you know, your phone. healthy yes. philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Former wire cutter editor, Casey Johnston. Uh, thank you. No, uh, Casey, uh, the newsletter, again, if you have forgotten, is She's a Beast. You can find it at she'sabeast.substack.com. Casey, thank you so, so much for coming by. This has been fabulous and, and good luck. Thank you. Thank you for having me. As always, this is the portion of the show where we thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you. Patrons. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where do you think the comma should go? Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. Or thank you, patrons, and then a pregnant pause. What about no comma? Just thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. I think there needs to be like a little comma there. Anyway, uh, we really appreciate our patrons because, as always, uh, Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod is a 100% listener-supported show. It's true. Uh, The commas, it turns out, do not pay the bills. No. Freeloading commas around here. I mean... When has a comma, what has a comma ever done for you, Brad? They just hold the thing up, you know, they just make it take too long. Yeah, they used to get me in trouble because I put them in the wrong place. I always put them before the end instead of after the end, or maybe after the end instead of before. I can't remember. Yes, the Oxford rule will get you every time. Yeah, Oxford, smarmy Brits. 
Anyway, uh, we really appreciate uh, everybody who supports the show, whether it's uh, as a patron or by just by telling your friends. We had a couple of tweets this week that made me smile because yeah. people were very creative in how they promoted the podcast to their friends and and social circles, which I love. Yeah. Um, and as always, if you want to support the show financially, that gets you access to the fabulous Tech Pod Patreon, uh, where you can talk about such things or as Discord, Discord, Discord. Shit. <laughs> as always. If you choose to support the show, that gets you access to the fabulous TechPod Discord, which is full of beautiful, smart, nerdy, delightful human beings who have a variety of conversations, including, uh, well, like I started a thread for Deathloop spoilers this morning that I then accidentally stayed in. Oops. Oops. Um, That's the problem. When you make a quarantine, you need to not be in the quarantine if you want to avoid the thing you're quarantining. I mean, it is, it is, it is true. We made an isolation ward. Um, we, we are, I think I'm starting to embrace the threads in discord. I think the discord implementation of threads is maybe the best I've seen so it's far. It's not bad. I was very anti threads, uh, for my experience with Slack. Cause I don't like the way that Slack yeah. handles threads, but discord is, it's okay. It's tolerable. Yeah. Slack threads are a pox on the earth. Yes. The Discord I, threads seem okay. There's a place for them. Um, but yeah, if you would like to support the show, you can find out how by going to patreon.com slash tech pod. That's patreon.com slash tech pod. Again, patreon.com slash tech pod. I heard if you say things three times, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. I heard if you say three things three times, people will I remember them better. What did you hear? If you say things three times, people will remember them better. Ooh. Uh, and as always, every episode, we like to thank our executive producer tier patrons, including Paddle Creek Games, the Fractured Veil video game people or something, Andrew Soloski, the Bunny Fiend, Jacob Chappell, Joel Krauska, Twinkle Twinkie, David Allen, and James Kamek. Uh, thank you all so much for your support. We yes, appreciate yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and like I said, if you do, if you can't support the pod financially, we totally get it. Just tell a friend. Yeah. Friends are good. Spread the word. That helps. That's how new people find the show, it turns out. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate self-promotion. So if our our glorious, wonderful, generous, kind listeners want to spread the word for us, I will not be opposed. Yeah, no, I'm terrible at self-promotion. Oh, it's the worst. It gives me the creeping heebie-jeebies just to say, you know, something like patreon.com slash techpod three or four times in an episode. I know. Like, it's just grating as hell. Patreon.com slash techpod, man. Oh, God. I, I just, I just, I just, but, you know, I, I can't, I can't stop saying it at this point. Who would um, say a thing like patreon.com slash techpod? Did you, did you mean patreon.com slash techpod? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, that'll do it for us this week. Thank you all so, so much for your support. We appreciate it. And we will see you all next Sunday. The hey, I got high and um, to see if weed would help me work out. One is especially good, Casey. Wait, how did we not talk about that? <laughs> oh, oh can, my can God, we still we talk, talk about, about that? It. We, I mean, we can still talk about it. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, we lied. We were going to talk about. We are still are going to talk about digital journalism in the 21st century. But first, uh, you got high and worked out. I understand. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. How did that go? So recently. Weed was legalized in New York. Very big for us. I'm in Brooklyn. Um, so I thought it. Yes, thank you. I thought it would be nice to sort of celebrate that. It was like closely timed also with 420. So I was like the column before that was running immediately before that. I was like, you know, it'd be a fun thing to do is trying this sort of um, you know, thing that for science, <laughs> for science. Yes. I've always been sort of curious. And like, I think you were talking about how boring running is earlier 
weed use is very popular with like really long distance runners. And many of them reached out to me after this, that they were like, I can't do like a long, a long, long run without being high. That's baffling. Yeah. It's it's baffling to me. It zens you out a little. It makes it less boring, they say. Well, it Um, also helps if you have like pain. It also helps with the pain stuff. That too. The stereotype is just of, of, you know, stoners flopped on the couch, not wanting to move, you know, so thinking about exercise. I was like, this is, you know, how I sort of understand weed. And I pretty much only have it when I'm looking to relax. But maybe what elements could it bring to a workout? Time to find out. Um, So I tried it. Uh, Some some vaping of flour and some edibles. Um, I tried going for a run as well in this article and it was good. It sort of, it, it makes it hard. It makes it very hard to like, if you're trying to figure out like, okay, I need to, an order in which to do things or like, where should I set up my deadlift? That's impossible if you're high, but if you already have the sort of logistics figured out and like you have to very deliberately write out your program and like how much weight you're lifting and how the sets and reps, you can't be like, Oh, should I do a little bit less or a little bit more today? It's like, you got to figure that out before you actually have the weed. But then once you do it, you really feel sort of like very dialed into the physical sensations of it. Um, when I was, when I was doing it, I sort of didn't want the workouts to end because I was just like having it sounds corny, but like having fun and it like felt good. Um, And you just kind of want to try all the ways in which it might feel good and like do some stretching and like just lean, lean into it. And it's it was nice. I enjoyed it. I've I've like done it since, like not every time. But, um, you know, if you feel like today I'm not so into working out, what if I have some weed? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and see if it just gets me over the hump. And then I had a ton of people reach out afterward who were like, oh, yeah, I'm like doing bong rips between deadlifts. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I love that for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's cool. Okay. 